0: Good morning to you and welcome to today's webinar, Putting It All Together, A Diagnosis to Adulthood Guide for Navigating the Disability World, presented by True North Disability Planning's founder and consultant, Eric Jorgensen. My name is Jeff Stauffer, Community Relations Director with Elbow & Associates, and I'll be moderating today's presentation. This is an annual presentation that we offer with Eric. Uh, we keep bringing him back because he's just so darn good, and we appreciate his time today. So welcome to those that are new to our educational webinar series and also to those that are frequent attendees. We encourage your general questions at any time, so please note them in the questions panel on your screen and we will pause periodically throughout the presentation to address them. More case-specific questions and personal questions may be best discussed offline and in a consultation with Eric. Your questions add value and help the presentation, they help others learn, so please don't be shy. In posing your questions at any time. You also received the presentation slides yesterday by email for me to take notes on them if you wish. The Presentation is also available in the section marked handouts on your panel on your screen to download at any time. Also welcome to our professionals on today's presentation for CFPs, CPAs, and most other professionals. You may receive 1.5 continuing education hours for attending today. And on my end, per my attendance records requirements, if applicable, and you have an ID number that you'd like to share, please send it over as soon as possible as I'll be submitting the CE hours for approval tomorrow morning. Everyone will also receive a post webinar feedback email right after the presentation. And we ask that you please take just a couple minutes to fill out this very simple survey to offer us your thoughts about today's presentation. Here at Elbow and Associates, we want to be a resource to you and your families Planning needs, so certainly reach out to me with any questions at any time, and we'll be happy to be a resource to you um, as you see fit um, now or in the future. So it is my pleasure to welcome our presenter, Mr. Eric Jorgensen of True North Disability Planning. Eric has been helping families with loved ones with intellectual and developmental disabilities since he retired from the Navy in 2012. He was widowed the same year he retired, and it was his frustration with the difficulty of navigating services that led him to create the roles of consultant and IDD navigator through what has now been rebranded into his company known as True North Disability Planning. In addition to directly serving his clients through one-on-one consultations, Eric offers many free and low-cost resources on his website and has some special discounts available to clients and friends of Elvon Associates he'll mention during his presentation. Eric and his son William live in Frederick. So Eric, it's great to have you back, welcome. Also, thank you as well for your service to our country.
1: We certainly do appreciate that. And I will now turn it over to you. Thank you, you, Jeff. (laughs) Thank you, Jeff, I appreciate it. And we'll get the uh, discount out of the way and I'll mention again at the end of the presentation. So anybody who's listening to this now or uh, because they're viewing the recording, if they go to the website, my website, and they purchase a roadmap or a a state disability guide using the code ELVILLE, E-L-V-I-L-L-E. As a discount, they'll get 25% off of uh, whatever they're purchasing from the website. The only thing really for sale there is gonna be the roadmaps. Uh, most of the other content is free that you can download, but you type in the ELVILLE and it should give you a 25% discount. If it doesn't, email me, Eric especially so I can make sure I, I get it uh, fixed. Now for the reason you guys are here, I want to talk today about the sort of cradle to grave when you're when you have a child with a disability. A lot of what I'm going to talk about is going to be specific to Maryland, but not all of it. And so, if you're attending from out of state, uh, I will make note if if another state has something similar or uh, if there's things you can look for in other states. Generally speaking, everything I'm going to talk about today is available regardless where you live in the country. So let's let's get started with um where I think the current state of affairs is and this is everything I'm going to talk about today is is coming from my own personal point of view it's what led me to starting the company it's why I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm really trying to create a new category uh, because what I see right now is as you can see on screen we have we have lawyers who are saying they do special needs estate planning and we have financial planners who say they're doing special needs planning And it's getting to be really hard to understand, at least from my point of view, what is special needs planning? I would like to see more people, more professionals say, I do estate planning for people with disabilities. Now, again, attorneys, they work with special needs trusts, so it makes sense that they use the term special needs because that that is how social security recognizes whether or not a trust is the correct type of tool to make sure you're not going to have your assets and income, the assets that are held by the trust, counted. So special needs has to be used for special needs trust because that's how Social Security looks at it. But when you're a parent looking for a special needs planner, it's really important to understand what that planner you're working with does. Are they doing an estate planning? For, are they doing an estate plan for you? Or are they doing guardianship? are you hiring them because they're going to sell you life insurance are they doing a financial plan what are you really getting from them when they say they're doing special needs planning the goal of this presentation is to give you a better understanding of where i want to see disability planning go it's so much more than just getting a financial plan or getting an estate plan it, it's in before I go on, I want to stress getting a, a financial plan and an estate plan are very, very necessary. You, you may not need to have all of your money under management, but you should absolutely have a good idea where your money's going, how much you, your, your son or daughter is going to need after you're gone to provide for themselves and how that money is going to get to them. You should also know, do they need a guardian? Are you doing supported decision-making? If you do need a guardian, what's going to who's going to be the guardian after you're gone? How are you going to provide them the the money that they're going to need to provide to support themselves? Because Social Security is not going to be enough, generally speaking, to provide for somebody after they turn 18 and they're on their own, whether because you no longer uh, you're no longer alive to care for them, or because they don't qualify for any state or federal support. So you're going to have to make sure they have money available to them and where are you going to put it generally speaking that's going to go a special aid trust which is why you need an estate planning attorney it's also important for your own estate your own while you're alive planning you know you you should have a power of attorney for yourself you should have healthcare proxy you should have all of those things that a lawyer can really help you put together so I'm not discounting the importance of either estate planning or financial planning, but I think there needs to be another category to fill in the gaps left between both of those. Disability planning really should, and I believe will, fill in the gaps of what state benefits am I eligible for, what should I be applying for, how does Medicaid, Medicare and my private health insurance work together, all of those things. And it's it's not a category that I aim to fill by myself, I'm seeing more and more professionals out there that are coming in to help me fill this area. One person in Maryland who does a really great job in terms of helping people apply for benefits and and see what's out there for them is Rebecca Rubin. So, you know, um, she can definitely do and does a lot of hand-holding when you're trying to apply for DDA benefits and things like that. This timeline is in in the handout, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over it. Today, I am gonna touch on the different stages that we as parents are encountering with our children. You know, what happens when you get the diagnosis, what happens when they go into school, elementary, middle, high school, what happens after school, all of those things. Each area of life brings its own challenges. I am going to share everything in the hopes that you worry about the stage of life you're in and not get too far ahead of yourself worrying about what's coming. So, if you have, if your child is three or four years old, I don't really, I don't want you worrying about guardianship. Conversely, if your child is 17 and you haven't done anything that I'm going to talk about for the diagnosis and elementary school, maybe you have to do a little more groundwork to get yourself on par before the child leaves high school. But take it, take all of this into account with. How old is your child? Where are you now? What have you already accomplished? And what, if anything, is new to you? So the first thing we're gonna talk about is the diagnosis. And this is getting better, especially for those on the autism spectrum. It it is coming earlier and earlier. The exception still seems to be for those um, who are female and those people of color, it seems like there's still a delay of two to five years depending which which study you're reading in terms of getting the diagnosis and is what's not clear is that because it's a, a lack of access is it culture um is it some other reason but there does seem to be a delay in getting that diagnosis especially for autism for people of color and females when you get the diagnosis the first thing you wanna do, whether you're a professional or the family, is connect with resources. And some of those are gonna be local resources, other ones are gonna be national. Like I have on here, the National Down Syndrome Society, Autism awesome Speaks. NORD is the National Organization of Rare Diseases because there are families out there who ha- whose children may be one of 300 with a diagnosis and they don't really know what to do, they don't have any resources available, they don't, they're not sure where to start, or they may even be having trouble just getting a diagnosis because the doctors don't know what to do. So going, referring them or, or reaching out to the National Organization of Rare Disease could be a great start for yourself. I would also say, in Maryland especially, if you, when you get a diagnosis, be it Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, autism, any of the intellectual developmental dis- disabilities, you'll want to apply for D- for DDA Medicaid waiver. In Maryland, there's an autism-specific waiver. It's called the autism waiver. You call an 800 number. You give the Social Security number. You get signed up. There is about a, a 13 to 15-year waiting list last time I checked. But that is not a reason to not call right i mean at any given time a state could decide they're going to make the getting somebody off the waiting list a priority and push money towards it if they do that and you're not on the waiting list you're screwed so you know i am seeing states around the country that are saying you know these waiting lists are ridiculous we're going to take some of this money that we're getting from the federal government and we are going to really work hard at Reducing this waiting list and getting it down to be in under man- more manageable levels. Again, the only way that you are going to be able to benefit from that is if you are on the waiting list. So you were you in Maryland? That's going to the DDA website and signing up for DDA services, and for the autism waiver, it's calling the 1-800 number and getting your name on the waiting list. When you apply for DDA, usually what happens is within 30 days a coordinator of community services a ccs is going to reach out to you to schedule time to come out and evaluate your child when they come out to evaluate your child that is not the time for you to sing your child's praises and 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 say everything that they can do now i don't want you being melodramatic and i don't want you making anything up what you do need to do is imagine what your child experience would be like if you or your spouse or the the child's other parent were not available to provide support. What would that child's life be like? And that is what you need to describe to the CCS because that, that CCS is going to be functioning as a case manager to determine what level of support your child needs. And again, I don't want you making anything up. I don't want you faking it. I don't want you exaggerating, but I do want you to explain as clearly as possible just how much support you are providing your child on a day-to-day basis. It's it's important because this is how the funding is gonna be allocated as your child gets older. It's also important to get put on a waiver in Maryland because even if you're approved for, an air quotes, future need, meaning you're not going to get any support right now, should something happen to you to where you can no longer continue caring for the child, then your child will be moved up into either crisis or crisis resolution, meaning they'll have a higher priority towards getting that support in place. And again, this is all stuff you can do right after you find out you have the diagnosis, um, it's 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 simple, but it's not easy. It is a lot of work, but it is not, I don't feel it's overly complicated. Um, I think some of the paperwork can be very burdensome because there is a lot of, it, it can be a lot of paperwork to fill out. It may feel like, why are you asking me this? If you are not on Medicaid yet, that's fine, because the only time your child has to be on Medicaid is when they start receiving DDA services. So if your child is five and you check the block, my child is not on Medicaid, that is not going to automatically disqualify you from getting DDA. So don't let that limit you from, don't let that prevent you from applying for for the Medicaid waiver. Applying for supplemental security income, SSI. I'm not a huge fan of people with children under the age of 18 applying because it's so much harder to get approved. When you apply for a child under the age of 18, Social Security is looking at the parents' assets and income to determine if the child qualifies. And even though oftentimes in a two-parent household, one parent is probably a stay-at-home parent being a caregiver, especially if your child has significant needs, that other parent is probably still making too much to qualify for SSI um, if you if you're in a really tight spot, then then by all means apply. i'm I'm certainly not telling you not to. I just want to manage your expectation and help you understand it can be very, very difficult to get SSI for a minor child. There's also something called rare and expensive case management or REM. In maryland and again this is going to be a it's going to be an individual by individual basis so if your child has a rare diagnosis or has a lot of medical complex medical needs i would suggest you reach out and apply for rare and expensive case management and see what the state tells you this may be the first time you're ever hearing of this um i i don't know who the normal referrers are. I think it's normally the schools. Um, So if you're homeschooling, maybe you haven't gotten a a referral, but if if you know somebody whose child seems like to have very complex medical needs, by all means, tell them about REM and try to help them apply for it. And the same thing if you're a professional. If you're a professional and you're working with a family and they're saying our child is experiencing Delays, they're not talking, um, whatever, whatever. And then in the next breath, they're saying, "But you know, he's a boy, so we're going to, you know, they'll grow into it." Or, um, you know, can, if they if they if they have a daughter, maybe what you can do is help them by sharing some information about how autism typically presents in in girls. You know so that's where you again you can help pediatricians get the information out there by sharing it with your with your clients um because that's that's part of the problem is a lot of families are looking for well this is how boys present my daughter's not doing that so must not have autism i'm oversimplifying i I understand it's not quite that simple um but it is it is you know it is clear that there is a a reach or a degree of variance between when boys are diagnosed and when girls are diagnosed and when caucasians are diagnosed and when people of color are diagnosed so if you are serving any of those populations that are diagnosed at a far less frequent rate this could be a great opportunity for you to come in and make introductions or help them find resources talk them through uh, maybe there are maybe they're concerns about what the diagnosis actually means. I don't want my child labeled. This is where you can really help parents understand the benefits of what that diagnosis will bring. The the understanding their finances, the financial plan. Again, I'm not suggesting you go out and hire a $5,000 financial planner. If you need that because you've got a very complex situation, great but it could just as easily be sitting down with a nonprofit debt counselor, or um, you know, a lot of these nonprofits will have people that can help you understand what's going on and not necessarily help you do a budget, but more of a lot of individuals who have this diagnosis often need these types of therapies. When they get these types of therapies, they are or are not covered by insurance. And this may be what you're looking at to pay out of pocket. That is what I mean when getting a clear picture about your finances. Because you know, you have a child who's going to need speech and occupational and physical therapy, and the school says they're going to get, you know, they'll they'll build in, I don't know, four hours a week into an IEP, but your doctor's recommending that they get. You know, eight hours a week. Well, where are you either gonna spend the money on a, an attorney and an advocate to try to get the IP to meet that difference in four hours, or are you gonna pay for the therapy out of pocket, or are you just gonna say, Well, we can't do it? Making an informed decision is much better than getting to the situation going, Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do, and then making no decision at all. So if you can if you can talk to these organizations that say, When you have a child with down syndrome or cerebral palsy um, they might need more physical therapy or they might need assistance with their gait or you might need to get some orthotics or something and oftentimes this is what the insurance will pay for this isn't you know these other things the insurance won't pay for or you have to buy it first and then get reimbursed well it would be nice to be able to budget all of that and, and know that it's coming instead of getting hit with that bill all at once. That's my perspective anyway. And that's what I mean when I'm saying, get a clear picture about your finances. That is what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you should sit down with a financial planner and figure out, okay, you're, you're 30, how much you need when you retire? you know, How much is it gonna cost your child to go to college? All those things are important, but the reality is for those of us whose children have disabilities or complex health needs, it's not really on our radar. What we're more worried about is, um, you know, my child's, you know, uses a G tube, which, you know, how am I going to get the food for that? What's, what's covered, what's not? My child needs a wheelchair, but I was told the insurance company only pays for a new wheelchair prescription every three years. What if my child grows faster than that? How am I going to pay for it? Those are the kinds of questions that I want people talking about and thinking about with their finances. And then the special needs trusted estate planning is is important at all age, at all life stages, because again, speaking from my personal experience, my wife died really young. Um, She was in her mid forties when she passed away. She died of a sudden illness. I was on active duty and we had done all the planning for me not coming home. I was on submarines, then I was on an aircraft carrier. I did a tour in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba so I was I was in a lot of places that were not exactly friendly. And there was, you know, a lot of reason to believe if something was gonna happen, it was gonna happen to me. So we planned for that. We didn't plan well, but we did the estate plan for me not coming home. We didn't buy enough life insurance. I didn't have enough insurance on either of us, but we did some planning and the little planning we did was for me not to come home. When, so when my wife died, I didn't know what she wanted, I mean, in writing, in terms of, does she want to be extreme measures taken? Um, you know, where does she want to be buried? Any of that. So I made the best decisions I could with the information I had. It did mean I took her off life support after a week. She, she'd spent a week in the ICU and I took her off life support. It remains the hardest decision I've ever made. Uh, and it's it's a decision I would not wish on anyone and it was further complicated because I really wasn't sure just how extreme measure, how extreme did she want to go with regards to trying to keep her alive. So I did the I did the best decision I could make given the circumstances. So that's that's what I mean when I say why it's important to have estate planning and special needs trusts and things like that. The other thing I screwed up on. Is I had an an upma for my son, which meant that when he turns 18, the money that was in that account would come to him, and that's really crappy planning because my son, you know, had a diagnosis of autism since the age of five, and if I knew better, if I knew if I knew back then what I know now, I wouldn't have set up the upma. Now when I when I set up the upma, there wasn't an able account that wasn't something I could have done, but I could have put the money into a third party trust or just not. Put the money anywhere uh, you know I, I didn't have to save money for him at the time now you do have the option of able accounts or, or other tools and that's where talking to somebody who understands what the diagnosis means what it could mean you know a diagnosis of autism doesn't mean a child is never going to work or live independently the same thing with downstream cerebral palsy you know you could and many do live very rich and meaningful lives and work you know and they're working so it really comes down to talking it out with a planner we've got this diagnosis what is the worst case scenario we should be planning for what types of things can we put in place so that that is the what i'm recommending to do right at diagnosis i'm going to pause here to, to give people a chance if they have questions to ask before i dive into the school years um in comments am i talking too fast is this a good pace things like that so any any questions or feedback is welcome at this point
0: thanks eric we do have some questions i would like to pass your way here first question is in most cases autism diagnosis doesn't come alone but may have like adhd or attention deficit only comma seizure so how do we handle these together? What is your suggestion in handling these during adulthood? Thank you very much.
1: So I will get to adulthood down the road. In terms of what, is the, what to do when you first get the diagnosis, understand it's not a death sentence, right? I mean, um, there's a lot, of, a lot of great coaches out there now that, that can work with young children and teens, even adults who have ADD and ADHD some of the best creatives out there have that diagnosis you know they they're out there and they're they're um, they're making their own path it it all comes to teaching individuals the tools that they're going to need when they become adults and the earlier you can get that intervention by giving them those tools the better because it you, you your your brain is a little more Plastic, I guess, is the term. I mean, you're you're a little more, in my experience, it was easier for me to learn things when I was younger than it is now. So the more you can expose people, your children to tools and and give them the tools and surround yourself with people who will give you the grace, if you're you're the individual on the spectrum with ADHD or seizure disorder, um, to give you the grace. And if it's a seizure disorder, then do you qualify for a support animal? Does it make sense to try to get a support animal? Um, You know, and again, it's it's looking for those resources, and the earlier you start, the better. And then as you get into adulthood, hopefully what you've done is you've built this very strong foundation to where you, you know what resources are out there, you know who you can reach out to, and then you just, you lean on them the older you get. I, I hope that answers the question. And I'm gonna get more into adulthood as, as I get towards that slide.
0: Okay, thank you. So next question and uh, does allude to an adult, a young adult, for a 23 year old who was diagnosed w- with as a child by Kennedy Krieger, what's a good resource to get an updated diagnosis to support requests for services as an adult?
1: So for an adult at 23, you're probably gonna have to pay for a, you're gonna have to pay for a psychological test on your own. Um, the the physician I'm most familiar with in Maryland, and there's I'm sure there's other really great physicians out there, but the the one I'm most familiar with and I recommend all the time is Dr. Rebeza, Rebecca Resnick, and her, her company is called Resnick & Associates. She and I did a podcast probably a couple of years ago now, where she explains what psychological testing is, but she's it is gonna be private pay because of of the child's age. The other option could be going to, to DOORS, which is Maryland's Department of Vocational Rehab, and asking them for a psychological test in terms of empl- what, they will only give a psychological test to show what types of supports wouldn't be needed for employment, so that test wouldn't necessarily help you apply for a Medicaid waiver, but it could help you figure out what supports are needed for employment um, but if you want to get a your own testing done, you're going to have to pay out of pocket. I think it costs somewhere between three to five thousand dollars, and you know I, I could be off on the pricing, but it is going to have to be private pay i don't know I don't know of any private insurance or Medicaid that pays for that.
0: Okay. Next question, can you say something on other arrangements besides guardianship such as supported decision making for those who are not very much disabled so that they will have some rights.
1: So I get more into support decision making and guardianship and the alternatives when we get into the teen, you know we get into high school high school and adulthood. Okay.
0: Okay. Uh, What are the terms DVA and CSS, if I heard those correctly?
1: So, DDA is the Developmental Disabilities Administration, that is Maryland's Medicaid waiver provider, um, administrator. There's different providers, but DDA is the one that takes Maryland's Medicaid dollars and pays provider agencies or self-directed families for supports. So when you know my son has a budget of about $250,000 a year for his supports that is paid by Medicaid and that that checkbook is handled by the Department of Developmental Disabilities Administration or DDA in Maryland. The CC Charlie Charlie Sierra and that is the coordinator of community services. That is going to be your for lack of a better term quarterback. So DDA has the checkbook, your CCS is going to be the one that's helping you find agencies to work with, Um, they're going to be the ones that are doing the evaluation for your child, and they're the one, they're really your go-to for all things Medicaid waivers in Maryland.
0: Okay, thank you, and a couple more here, if you could please repeat who can give a picture of financial needs in the future for an adult child with Down syndrome.
1: That's a little harder I mean there's a lot of financial advisors out there who who can help you plan for the financial future. Um, some of the ones I refer to most often are Michael Belloff in Connecticut he, he is the uh, he's one of the ones I recommend a lot. Mike Walter in Illinois is another one I recommend a lot and Jeff, I can send you um, I can send you some names for financial advisors. That'd be extraordinarily helpful yeah. So I'll send
0: you those after the... We have a couple here at Elbow and Associates that we encourage. I can include those in a list in my follow-up message as well, if you'd like. But certainly, Eric, if you have anybody, that'd be great. Uh, So a couple more briefly here, then we'll move on. Um, What happens when the person on disability reaches Social Security age?
1: So I will talk about that when we get into adulthood. Okay. And last one is, should you rely on
0: planners contracted by DDA, like service coordination, or are there other independent planners? If so, who?
1: So, probably gonna get some hate mail for this. But I don't see service coordination or any any Medicaid waiver provider as a air quotes planner. What they are is they are people that provide a service. They are going to provide you residential services, meaning they will give you a place to live. And when I say you, I mean the the individual with a disability. They're going to give you a place to live with the supports you need to live safely. Uh, That could be an apartment, that could be a group home, that could be staff in an apartment that you're paying for. They will provide you with personal supports, which are going to help you do your activities of daily living and functional daily living, like brushing your teeth, buying groceries, keeping the house clean they're going to do they're going to provide community supports which is getting you out into the community finding you hobbies and just helping you really get to know your neighborhood things like that and then they're going to provide you with vocational supports which is find a job keep a job what they are not going to do is they are not in and, and this and if there's if there's an agency out there that, that is doing these things i'd really love to hear about it but what what they're not going to do is they're not going to give you legal advice about how to plan what you should be putting how to do an estate plan what type of estate plan you need they're not going to give you financial advice with regards to how much life insurance you need how much money your child's going to need um and and to the best of my knowledge they're really not helping you figure out social security or medicaid medicare The first thing I said, the the estate planning, well, Elville & Associates is obviously going to be a great resource. If you don't live in Maryland, um, there's, you know, the Academy of Special Needs Planners has a website where you can find attorneys in the state that you live in that work with disabilities, um, that are very familiar with disabilities. Another great resource is the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. Again, if you don't live in Maryland or if you're looking for, if you want, different options those are two websites I would go to Um, for financial planners Jeff and I said we would share you some names Um, for the other planning Rebecca Rubin and I'll include I'll send Jeff her email you know she does a lot of great things in Maryland to help people Um, and then I have a resource I have a couple resources to help people apply for Social Security that I'll I'll send to Jeff as well thank you Eric Is that it, Jeff? Uh, Yes, it is. Thank you. Awesome. All right, so let's dive into the school years. And I'm going to preface all this by saying this is not my area of expertise. I am not an education advocate. I'm not terribly, if I'm I'm being completely transparent, I'm not a huge fan of special education. You know, I I felt at times that it was little more than an over, at times I felt it was a babysitter for my son. I didn't feel it was really doing a lot of great things for him. So that's my bias. I'm owning that bias. And I'm hoping um, I can still help you navigate it by connecting you with the right resources. So the IEP 504 plan is what your child is going to use to get the supports and services they need for a education, a fair and um, a fair education. It's not meant to help them live independently. It's it's all geared towards are they going to get an education and some great resources for if you want help with your IEP or 504, you know, go to COPA, the um, Council of Parents and Advocates Attorneys. Um, I don't remember what it stands for, COPAA. But they are a great resource to find a professional who's been trained who can help you with your IEP or 504 questions. You know, Wright's Law also does some great training if you are looking for resources around the IEP and 504. The school is there to support your child and I I don't know of any teachers. I've never come across it. I mean, maybe they're out there, but I've never come across a teacher who got into education because they hated kids. Every teacher I've ever met got into the job because they really love children and they want to help children succeed. So no matter how frustrated you may get with your schools, please try to remember that you know these teachers are doing the best they can they they have the same they have constraints that are put on them by administrators that um you know they're trying to serve as many people as they can so if you don't feel that your child is getting the the attention or the the uh education that they they deserve or that they should have you have every right to challenge it and you have every right to go be you know hire a professional and bring them in I I will put a caveat to that, that you you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. So don't go in. If you go in there guns blazing, don't be surprised if you don't get the results you're looking for. You know, try to go in and be amicable and and friendly and collaborative instead of going in there making demands right away. And, And I would just ask you to think about your put yourself in their shoes. If somebody comes at you. And they come at you hard and they're just like you need to do this is your first response to be very open and say yeah i, I really want to help this person or is it shutting down and saying who that who do you think you are i mean i know where i'm at and it's certainly not being flexible and friendly so you know i would just ask if you are going to work with your IP team or your 504 your child's 504 team please be collaborative um Therapies, you know, music, occupational therapy, et cetera, a lot of those can be built into the IP. By the same token, it may not be appropriate to have, you may have to pay for some of these out of pocket to, to get the, the support you need outside of the school environment. In Maryland, there's something called low intensity support services or LIS. There are two rounds that you can draw, it is a lottery. So you put your name in a hat as long as you're not already receiving any other Medicaid waiver services. And then you will get a you will get a scholarship for two thousand dollars. And then you know that scholarship can be used for you know a variety of things. It could be therapy, summer camp, etc. You're going to start talking about diploma or certificate, and this is where the school can do a psychological evaluation. And then when you roll into high school at age 14, you can start the transition plan, and you really need to start transition planning at age 14. So that means what is your child's life going to look like after they leave high school at 18 because they get a diploma or at 21 because they are staying in school until and, and they're just aging out on the certificate program. I encourage every family to have their child get a, a state ID even if the child is not going to drive. You know, the Maryland state ID, it's not very hard to get, You can, but I encourage you to get it at age 14. You can apply to doors for pre-employment transition services, pre And that is where the child at 14 can start learning job skills, getting an assessment done to see what they're what, what are they really good at? What what do they like? What types of challenges might they have? And then they can work over the summer and start getting paid. And you can, you know, they can start working real jobs and building their resume. Uh, the introduction to law enforcement doesn 't have to wait till high school. It can be done younger i didn 't do this, and i although I would talk about it all the time, and then I had an incident where I had two Frederick police officers bring my son home. Everything worked out great, but that was the that was the impetus that that 's what it took for me to reach out to the non emergency number and say, "Hey, I want to let people know that I have a child with a disability. These are his uh, limitations." This is what happens if he's if he's engaged or if he feels stressed out, he's going to shut down. This is, you know, this is who he is. This is what to expect. You know, the, the college planning, maybe it's not appropriate for everybody, or maybe you want your child to go to school and, you know, get non-credit courses, or maybe they want to get a degree. These are all conversations that you the earlier you have, the better, because then you can start working with the IEP team. And what skills do they, does, do they need to help your child develop to meet these goals? You know, if, if the goal is driving, plan for it to take longer than, you know, what it might might have taken you to learn how to drive. You know, especially if you live in, like, more urban counties, like Montgomery County or Howard County or Anne Arundel, where there's a lot of traffic. You know, that's not quite the same thing as learning to drive in Carroll County, where, where it may not be as busy so what kinds of resources are out there maybe pathfinders for autism could be a great resource to help about this you know getting the the driver's license or you know maybe you can go attend one of their seminars about how to talk to law enforcement maybe you can start going to transition fairs i think every county in the state has has a transition fair where they will start introducing you to a lot of what i'm talking about here and you can sit down and, and talk to agencies and really get to know what they're doing but that that's the time to start doing it when your child is 14 15 not when you're in 20 21 getting ready to leave high school so now at, at age 14 15 is really when you want to start doing that and working with voc rehab and getting the case open with free with ads and things like that so I, i'm threw out a ton of information again And i'm going to pause because once i get into 18 and older there's there's a lot of information and a lot of the questions from earlier were about adults so i want to make sure we we have enough time you know i can really do a deep dive into that because it seems like that's there's a lot of questions there but i'm going to pause here
0: thanks eric the only new question or statement that we have here is from somebody that mentions C-O-P-A-A, which is the Council of Parents, Attorneys, and Advocates. Not sure if you've ever heard of that or had any experience with them.
1: Well, that's what I was trying to say. I didn't know what the acronym stood for, but yeah, COPA. Oh, okay.
0: Very good. Yeah, I so like
1: that's them a lot. Now. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, I like COPA a lot. I think they're a great resource. All right, so when your child is 18 years old, if they leave high school, their supports won't start until age 21, so if you want a job coach, um, you may be able to get job coach through Doors, but Doors is a short-term solution. They, they're really there to get the individual into the job, and then they're going to back out over a period of three to six weeks. They're not there to be ongoing support. So they may give the person a job coach once they get the job, but if that person needs ongoing support and they're they're not eligible for the medicaid waiver yet because they're 19 then or they just weren't approved for the medicaid waiver you may have to pay for that job coach out of pocket you can apply for ssi supplemental security income the first day of the month that your child turns 18. so if your child turns 18 in july on july 1st you can apply for ssi and the reason you want to apply for SSI as soon as the child turns 18, if they're disabled, is because you want to get them, one, it's $914 a month, and for many families that, that can help if they get the full federal benefit. The other reason is if, they're, if they have a pretty significant disability and it's clear that they're going to, this disability is going to impact them for the rest of their life, they may qualify down the road for the disabled adult child benefit. And the disabled adult child benefit means that when the parent retires or becomes disabled, then the child will receive 50% of the parent's Social Security benefit. So if the parent is going to get $2,000 a month in Social Security, then the child will receive $1,000 a month. And if, you know, and generally speaking, if you only have one child who's disabled, it will not affect the, it will not affect the parent's Social Security benefit. When the parent dies, that benefit will increase from 50% to 75%. So, if the child is receiving $1,000 a month, when the parent dies, the child will receive $1,500 a month. They will keep their Medicaid, and 24 months after they start receiving the, the extra benefit, the $1,000, they will automatically be enrolled enrolled in Medicare. So they will have Medicare, Medicaid, if they're under you know if they're under the age of 26, it's very possible they could have their employee their parents health insurance, employer sponsored health insurance. If one of the if one of the parents is working, um, they could also if the parent if one of the parents was a federal employee, they could have the the federal health insurance for as long as that parent is alive if one of the parents retired from the military, they could have the health insurance from the parent who retired from the military for the rest of the child's life. And I wanna say if, if they have a parent who's retired from the military, the child could also receive 55% of the chi- of the parent's pension, but you have to apply, you have to make sure you apply for that. So that's that's a lot of information. I'm gonna pause to take a breath before I go into everything else and, and make sure because Social Security usually has additional questions, so I'm going to give people a second to ask questions about Social Security. Thanks, Eric. Nothing yet. Okay. So every child who is born male in the United States has uh, one to One second here, Eric. Uh,
0: if you don't mind, looks like we have a couple um, just came in. So, first question is what happens if the seventy five percent goes over two thousand dollars?
1: It can't because it's seventy five percent of the individual's benefit so if if you get if you if you if instead of two thousand dollars you were you were getting four thousand dollars from Social security, then your child would get three thousand it's going to be seventy five percent of whatever the parents' benefit was um okay.
0: Okay. And next question is, can you repeat the last piece you said about the pension?
1: If you have a military member who is retiring from the Navy, uh, from the military, sorry, I'm Navy. If you, if you, if they are retiring from the military, they have the option of leaving their survivor benefit plan to their spouse or to their spouse and child. If their child is disabled they can leave their survivor benefit plan to their disabled child, um, even if the child is an adult. That that was a law that changed back in 2016, and right now I believe there's an open enrollment. So if you if you did retire from the military, but you did not select and you did not select survivor benefit plan, I believe you can opt in now, but you have to pay for all the years that you missed. Um, I would want to do some homework on that before I take that for gospel, but I can tell you definitively, if you haven't retired yet and you have an adult child who's going to be disabled for the rest of their life, you can, and I would argue you should, leave 55% of your pension to your child in the form of survivor benefit plan. It has to go to a first-party special needs trust, and that is when you would need to talk to an attorney to, to make sure you have the right type of trust document written up but yes you can leave a military pension to a disabled child
0: okay and looks like we have um, two more that just came in can Social Security be deposited directly into an ABLE account to avoid that $2,000 cap
1: no not right now so if, if that's what they meant what happens if you're if you're, what happens if your dAC is too much higher than two thousand then you would still have to get the account below two thousand dollars um i I was thinking i was thinking income not assets so there's two tests you have to pass when you're on when, when you're receiving sSI and, and ssdi so for ssi it's going to be re- your sSI will be reduced by one dollar every dollar you get in under an income, so if you start receiving disabled adult child benefit in the form of SSDI, in the example I used where you're getting $1,000, your SSI is going to is going to be reduced. So you're gonna you're you're because $1,000 is more than $934, which is um, $914 plus $20. The first $20 are ignored you will no longer receive a check from SSI. Instead, all of your money will be SSDI. The $2,000 limit is an asset limit. So you cannot have more than $2,000 in your name to qualify for Medicaid or SSI. So in the example I gave, if you're getting $3,000 a month from SSDI, then you would want to make sure you pay all your bills with it or have it go into a first party trust, or you know, um, or into a savings account and then the savings account or checking account the de- transfers it to an ABLE account. Right now you cannot deposit Social Security directly into an ABLE account, not yet. But you can take money from a rep payee account and transfer the money from the rep payee to the ABLE account. I do that with, with my son's account all the time so if you have a rep e. account because you you have a child who is receiving social security benefits you can take that money and transfer it from the rep e. account to the able account so I, I hope that didn't confuse people but you're no you cannot move money from you cannot deposit social security directly into an able account yet
0: okay um it looks like we have another one here if both parents work which one will the child's benefit be based on, just the first to retire and receive SSI?
1: It's going to, it will, trying to think how to say this without making it more, the first person to retire, let's say, let's say dad, let's say dad and mom, um, mom retires first. And you know her benefit is going to be $1,500. So the child, when mom retires, the child will start getting $750 a month. And then dad retires, and his benefit is $2,000 a month. So what will happen is the child will automatically start collecting based on the dad when the dad retires, because it will it will start with who retires first or who goes on disability claim first. And then it will default to whichever who has the higher benefit.
0: Okay. Um, a couple more here. If retirement social security benefit from a parent is $1,000, they would no longer get SSI, correct?
1: No, if the social security, if, if a social security retirement for a parent was $1,000. And the child would, was getting 50% of that. The child would only get $500. So if the child is receiving the full federal benefit of 914 then and and then they ignore the first $20. So then now that now the child is getting $480 a month in SSDI, they would take the $914 of SSI minus the $480 of SSDI and they would receive $430, somebody check my math, but $430 in SSI. Because the end result is they would still get the full $914.
0: Okay. Uh, My son has epilepsy and was able to work when he was younger, but his condition has worsened to the point that he no longer can work. We are beginning the process of filing for SSDI his father will be retiring in about 5 years would he get 50% of his father's retirement or would SSDI still be in effect
1: this is a tough one and it's it's you know this is where i would recommend working with somebody from um social a social security expert like an attorney uh because it, it, the, the answer is it depends because he's going to apply for SA because they're applying for SSDI, then it means the individual has earned credits on their own work benefit. And that makes it somewhat unlikely that they're going to qualify for disabled adult child benefit. Although there could be an argument that because the disability occurred before the child was 21, 22 years old, they may still qualify for disabled child benefit. And that's where you really need to get an expert involved And um, a a resource I go to a lot is Nasser, the National Organization of Social Security Claimant Representatives. And Elville and Associates may have an attorney who's an expert in social security too, I I don't know. But um, Nasser is is a resource I go to to try it when I'm looking for professionals who can help with a case like this. Because this is a really particular situation and it's, it's really gonna depend on how many work credits the individual has, when was the epilepsy diagnosed, uh, how much documentation do you have for the progression of the, disease, of the disability? There's just a lot involved there.
0: Okay, thank you, Eric, for all the
1: information. Um, no more
0: questions for right now.
1: Awesome. So I left off a selective service, and this is, a, this is something I see a lot of people overlook. If you have a child who is born male in the United States, they need to register for Selective Service or the draft between the ages of 18 and I think it's 22. If they don't, they could run the risk of no longer qualifying for federal employment or FAFSA. And you know, some of you may be like, "Well, my child's you know has significant disabilities. I don't care. They're never going to go to college." I still recommend doing it because a lot of states and and the federal government are making a big push to hire people with disabilities. They're making a real big push to do that. And you don't want your child not being able to get a job with the federal government, which has phenomenal benefits, or a state government because the child never signed up for the draft. If they have a disability and and they sign up for the draft, what's probably gonna happen is you're gonna get a phone call from a recruiter, you're gonna tell the recruiter, my child is disabled, my son is disabled because women don't have to file for the draft. My son is disabled and the recruiter is going to take you off the list. They're never going to get called, to, they're never going to get called up to go deploy or you know be drafted because of their disability. If they have a significant disability, I, I think it's just easier to do. It takes like two seconds to go to the website, get it done. You know, voc rehab. If you don't have a case open yet with for pre-employment transition services, at age 18, you're applying for vocational rehab. And you, again open the case, get the case open. If you have a case open with book rehab and you're receiving social security benefits, SSI or SSDI, you can you can apply for benefits counseling. And you that means a benefits counselor will sit down with you and help you understand how much you can work and earn without losing your benefits. And that is their they're paid for by book rehab because they really want people to go to work and and make eventually they would like to see people work enough to come off of social security they're not going to kick you off social security if you're working and the benefits counselor can really help you figure out how many hours can you work what happens if you do overtime does it make sense to work because you get better benefits you know that's that's what the benefits counselor can really help you do and voc rehab can help you place get placed for that the guardianship support decision making maryland did pass the support decision making law and you know as as one of our questions was earlier is that you know, it's it's really a choice for the family um i am my son's legal guardian i, I made that choice because i felt that he's ill-equipped to uh do support decision making you know i don't want him signing contracts i don't want him i just felt that the the guardianship was the right answer for our family within the guardianship i still let him make all of his own choices except for you know medical decisions um but by and large i i have very little say in what he does if last year he didn't want to go see a doctor or a dentist even though i really wanted him to he's 23 so short of me restraining him and trying to throw him in the car to take him there i'm not it, it's not going to happen so i respected his decision don't agree with that but I respected his decision to, you know, opt out of working for healthcare. And, and now what we're doing is his staff and I are tr- are working with him to determine what are his concerns, what are his fears, why doesn't he want to see a doctor, why doesn't he want to see a dentist, and addressing those to get him to a place where he's comfortable that he'll be able to do it. Again, the only th- the the major medical decisions I made. He had to have a, a rod put in his chest because he had, his sternum was pushing against his heart and his lungs. That was not open for discussion. It was, we're gonna do this, this is why. But by and large, I try to give him as much leeway as possible. Um, but you may decide support decision-making works for you. And, and that is, you know, fine. There's, There are a lot of tools out there to help you build a support decision-making team. I can't tell you how to decide if it's right for you or not. I think you need to talk to an attorney and uh, to get a better understanding of what is involved with with a guardianship. What does it entail? It is a legal proceeding. It does mean you go before a, a court, you go in court, you go before a judge, your child is gonna be assigned an attorney and the attorney will represent your child. I encourage you to seek legal counsel. Even if you're not using the attorney to go through with the guardianship proceedings, I still think you ought to pay for an hour or two of the attorney's time to make sure you understand everything that's involved with guardianship. And if I remember correctly, when I got guardianship with my son, and this was five, five, almost six years ago, I had to go through a course through the state of Maryland that was that was a prerequisite to getting guardianship. you know children can vote people with disabilities can vote. they might need supports. Housing is a very, very difficult situation. It's that way around the country. There is not enough affordable or accessible housing. I don't have any magic bullets for you you can you can get on the waiting list for a housing voucher certain cities like rockville have their own vouchers outside of the in addition to the state housing is is something that you're just gonna have to figure out I, i i i will give you some examples of what i'm seeing people do one example is like i mentioned earlier you're working with an agency the agency is providing residential supports those residential supports either look like a group home where somebody is, and then maybe it's not called a group home anymore, but somebody is living in a house with two or three roommates and staff, and they all live in the house, and the, the staff is is helping them, and and it's there, that's where they live. Another option could be an agency is has a, an apartment and maybe maybe that individual is living in the apartment alone and they have staff or the staff is living with them and it's all paid for by the agency or like what i'm doing my plan is to have my son live in my house the staff will not live in the house but the staff will come in work with my son during the day right now he gets 13 hours a day in support and then they'll leave and then by and large my son will be this will be his house to do that i'm going to have um i already have yard people i have housekeepers i'm also going to hire after you know as i get older i'm going to hire a property manager to keep up with the house there's some models where you have two or three families getting together to buy a house and they create an llc and they they buy they they buy into the llc so they're all equal owners or there's a there's an ownership interest and then the llc owns the house there's a lot of different ways of looking at the, of, of this. You have Main Street in Rockville that has um, built a big apartment building. You have ILO, Integrated, Integrated Living Opportunities, I think is what it stands for. Again, in, in Montgomery County, where they're building pods out for, uh, for people to buy into and, and find housing. There's a lot of different options out there. What the right option for you is, I, I have no idea. Um, but there's a lot of different options. What I can tell you is because it's so hard to find affordable and accessible housing, you really need to start thinking about it sooner than later. I mean, it it, it really should not be something that you're waiting until you're 70 or 80 years old to figure out and go, oh, crap, what am I going to do with my child? You know, that's not fair to your child either, especially if they're going to leave. The, if If they're in their 40s or 50s, they've been living with you all their life and then but the plan is when they die they're going to go into a group home that's not fair they're going to go from this this really comfortable environment that they're used to to a place with living with strangers so if if you think the long-term solution is a residential solution start working on that now start incorporating that in your planning now um and that's that's my my housing soapbox i'll get off it and i'll put it away for, for and I'm, I'm sure there'll probably be questions about it, but there are housing vouchers you can apply for. More often than that, those housing vouchers don't have any funding um, and it can be really hard to get. So they do exist. It's kind of like the golden ticket from Willy Wonka. If you get one, great, but they're really hard to get. I do encourage everybody, parents, children, siblings, I encourage them to freeze their credit. It's really easy experian equifax and um wow well, i always blink on this but the three credit agencies you're going to want to you're going to want to freeze your credit it's pretty simple to do and it it doesn't stop anybody if you have a credit card it doesn't stop them from stealing it and using it but it does stop them from opening credit in your name and when you have a child with a disability that's really important you don't want them having their credit gets stolen, especially if if you're not keeping track of it. Uh, And then the education piece, you know, do they want to go to trade school? Do they want to get, do they want to go to college? You know, if you have a child who in Maryland is receiving social security and they go to a Maryland community college, they may be able to go tuition free. There's some rules. I'm not going to go into all of that, but there is a program in Maryland where if you have a child who is receiving Social Security benefits, they may qualify for to go to a community college tuition free. Caveat, caveat. There, there's more research you have to do on that. Just, just know it exists. Before I get into age 21 and up, I want to pause here and see if there's any questions. We're we're getting down to the wire here, so I want to make sure I give everybody the opportunity to ask their questions.
0: Thanks, Eric. A couple. From just after you ended the previous section. Can you repeat the initials for the association you mentioned? N-O-S-C-E-R, possibly.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry about that. It's November, Oscar, Sierra, Sierra, Charlie, Romeo. And again, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a, a list of all these um, after our meeting today. Jeff, I'll probably get to you later this evening because I want to send you links as well. I don't want to just send you abbreviations. Yeah, that that's tremendously
0: helpful, Eric. I always send out, for those that are part of our webinar series frequently, I always send out a, a substantive follow-up message with um, follow-up information. So anything you're able to send, Eric, is great. I typically do send that out the uh, the very first thing. The next morning uh including the video link from the presentation so thank you uh next question is the person assisting with benefits counseling the same person assisting with benefits planning thanks very much
1: probably, probably not. sorry
0: it looks like she's um this sam i apologize this person just corrected her message to say um uh, is the person assisting with benefits counseling the same person assisting with disability planning? Thank you very much.
1: So it, it's one piece of the disability planning puzzle. Um, I would, I, I, I think of disability planning as including financial planners, attorneys, benefits counselors, myself, Rebecca Rubin in Maryland, um, social security attorneys, That all of them have a part to play in this bigger piece called disability planning. Benefits counselors—they're—they're really hyper-specialized on Social Security benefits. You know, the the ticket to work program, um, work incentives. What's what's out there for you to start your own business? Um, You know, all of the all of the programs that Social Security has to encourage people to. Find a job, keep a job, and get off Social Security. That is what benefits counselors are going to help you with.
0: Okay, it looks like those are all the questions for now. Thank you.
1: Welcome. All right, so once we get into 21 and over, this is when the majority of people are going to be on Medicaid waivers. If you live in Maryland and you sign up for the Medicaid waiver before you leave high school, then What Maryland does is the governor sets aside money for all transitioning youth. There is a budget for transitioning youth in Maryland. So if you are a child transitioning from high school into adult services, the money is there and earmarked for you to pay for your first year of supports. But you have to be enrolled in the Medicaid waiver and you have to be applied, you have to be approved for services. In a perfect world, you, you would have started having this conversation about who your providers are gonna be? are you gonna do in self-directed versus agency? Um, meaning are you gonna manage your own your own budget? Are you gonna hire and fire your own staff? Are you gonna do your are you doing all of that on your own? Are you gonna use an agency? All of that would be discussed and decided upon before your child turns twenty one. I tried self-directed for a while. I decided I didn't like it. it's a it is it is a full-time job, even if you have a support broker and it's it's just a lot of extra work that i didn't want some parents like it some parents like the level of control it gives them over hiring people i'm i was i i thought that was important to me but what what ended up being more important to me was actually having staff for my son and i just didn't have the the bandwidth or capacity to keep to find people because i i got ghosted i think 30 or 40 times when i did interviews and just i got fed up so um shifted over to an agency i haven't had any problems with staff knock on wood another thing that you i really hope you're doing before your child turns 21 is stop looking at them as just their diagnosis they are people they have likes interests many will want to have some kind of romantic partner you know i see many parents who have a hard time seeing their children as adults um maybe it's because of behaviors or maybe it's because of iq but they they may still look at their 30 or 40 year old adult child as a child and not as a 30 or 40 year old you know adult male or woman who have wants needs and desires and deserve to live their life so i would encourage you to to think what and get them involved that's what a person-centered plan should really be about it shouldn't all be focused on Wants needs and I will be the first to tell you I think DDA's person centered plan is very clunky, but it's better than nothing. There are consultants out there that you can hire if you wanted to to uh, have somebody help you build a a better in air quotes person centered plan, um, but you don't have to. You know it's it really is just as simple as asking your child what do they like, what do they want, things like that, and then. This goes into the estate planning side. What do you want to leave for legacy? Do you have other children that you want to leave money to? Do you have charities that you want to support? Do you have other goals that you want with your money? You know, that all needs to be thought of and built in. Um, Do your children want to be involved? Don't automatically assume that because your, your child has a brother or sister, they want to be involved. Or even if they want to, don't assume that circumstances will never change. You know maybe that 19 20 year old brother sister really wants to be involved but down the road they they get married they have their own family maybe they not want they may want to be involved but they may find other demands on their time and that's fair so don't be careful not to guilt your your child's siblings into feeling like they have to be there when you're not um you know, start thinking about start thinking about that. Uh, you know, if the individual is capable of sharing their their wants and, and wishes, how do they want? What do they want for end of life? You know, do they want to be hooked up to machines? Again, based on what they can understand. But don't assume because somebody uses an AAC to talk or to communicate that they don't they they haven't thought about. Do I want to be hooked up to machines for the rest of my life? Or don't, you know, do I want a blood transfusion? Or, you know, or, or, or they they should still be given the opportunity to talk about what their uh, end-of-life wishes are. And they should have an estate plan done. You know, that even if you're a guardian, you should, you should be having these conversations with your children and helping them flesh this out. If your child is going to age out of your health insurance, start thinking about that dental and vision can be really hard to find for medicaid so maybe you need to get them a private you know a private policy or maybe you're gonna again like i mentioned earlier your federal employee or your military so you're getting them enrolled in those benefits some of those you have to do before you retire um you know so it's better to get that in place before you retire to make sure it's there and shop around don't necessarily say i'm going to get the cheapest insurance just for you know because i I, you know i want to cover my child and i want to make sure i can pay the premiums make sure you you work with somebody who really understands what the health insurance plan is going to cover to make sure your child is getting the health insurance they need yes medicaid will cover most things but they don't necessarily cover everything especially things like therapies and stuff because a lot of therapists will not accept medicaid um so you have to take that into consideration do the doctors that your child is seeing now do they accept medicaid do they accept medicare if they don't what are you going to do um you probably need to look at getting a different private policy so we had a question earlier on about what happens to social security when you turn 65. Well, if you're on Social Security Disability Insurance, SSDI, then it just becomes Social Security Retirement. You get your, your benefit amount doesn't change. What you re, the, the way you receive it just changes names. It goes from SSDI to Social Security Retirement. If you're on SSI, you're, you stay on SSI. Nothing happens. At 65, you continue to get SSI, Supplemental Security Income. If you didn't earn enough credits, you're not gonna get SSDI. If you didn't earn enough credits, you're not gonna get any retirement funding. You're only gonna get SSI at age 65. So that's everything before I get into my my diagrams about how everything works together. So I'll pause here to, to let people ask questions again.
0: Thank you, Eric. Let's see here. A question for you, are you leaving the house in a trust or to your son? you wanna answer that or not?
1: I'm leaving the house into a trust and I'm giving the, the trust the ability to sell the house. If it becomes too much house for my son or my son decides he'd rather live in an apartment, I'm, I'm gonna make sure the trustee has the capability to do that. Okay,
0: all right. Would you be able to share some lists of trade schools that are also in Virginia?
1: I don't know much at all about any kind of schools, college or trade schools. That's not my area of expertise. Um, candidly, I don't know if there are any in Virginia or in Maryland. Um,
0: okay. And just last comment here, this presentation is really helpful. Your personal experiences are so helpful to hear. Thank you for offering this
1: webinar. Awesome. I appreciate that. That's for so the the this the next two diagrams are just to show you how everything works together um, on this diagram you have a special needs trust which you know pays typically pays for big big expenses new tv furniture you know it'll take distributions maybe you're paying a guardian salary if, if that's something that you have you can have a trust uh, you could have a trust protector or a co-trustee uh, the trust protector is somebody that can hire or fire the trustee if the trustee isn't doing their job. Uh, you know, and that's that, again, work with an attorney and all that to determine if that's right for you or not. That special needs trust could be a, a trust that you paid for and you you had an attorney drop. It could be a pool trust. Uh, it, it could be any number of things. You could be taking distributions out to go to an ABLE account, and that ABLE account can be used for qualified disability expenses. For example, food, housing. What I'm using the able account for with my son is I've used it for dental bills. I've used it to buy him a computer. Uh, what I do for for food right now is I have and I didn't say this during the presentation, but you do want to enroll when your child becomes 23. You want to apply for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, for SNAP. And when you when you get foods or food stamps, when you get those, you can use that to buy for pay for food. Um, and then you can use the ABLE account to buy additional food. What I do instead is I take some of the money my son gets from Social Security and I put it on a TrueLink card, which is not connected to his ABLE account. It's, it's a separate account. So it does – I do have to keep the account below the $2,000 limit, but it's a it's a reloadable Visa account. And what he does is when he wants pizza or McDonald's or whatever he wants, he can go out, buy it with the TrueLink. And then I don't care about showing that it's a qualified disability expense or not. It, it, he can just use it because it's a it's a Visa card. He doesn't have to show that he's following any rules. Um, you know, but that's that's an example of what I'm doing. Uh, you know, a, a Trulink card is another example where it may not be for everybody. And in fact, in Maryland, I think Maryland Able uses Trulink. So if you're interested in that, I would encourage you to check out Maryland Able's website, and I, I'm sure kelly nelson will be presenting again she does a great job you know i've heard her present for elville before and you know you can ask her about how able and and TrueLink works together but that's how i use it i use the able account and my able account is in virginia because maryland didn't have an able account when i um when i got my son his account and i'm just i don't i can't be bothered to move it back to maryland because it's not broke why fix it so that's why his account is down in um that's why he's that's why it's where it is, you know. And then you have the rep payee account. You have the money from Social Security coming to the rep payee account, and that's what's paying the daily, weekly expenses. And that's where I'm using the Trulink account from. Is you know the rep payee account funds the Trulink card, and that's what he uses for the daily, weekly expenses, like his you know like I said, his pizza, Burger King, whatever. Um, so that's one way. That's how I do it. And then this is just an example to show you how you might think about funding a trust. You can fund it with life insurance, you can fund it with investment accounts. Um, and again, you can use living expenses, things like that. But th- this is, you know, this is just meant to, and you have all these slides, so I, I'm not gonna beat them to death, but I'm just trying to show you how everything works together. I do appreciate everybody you know, attending this. Um, I, I'm trying to leave the last five minutes for questions if there are additional questions. You know, I'm I'm happy to answer them. But thank you, everybody.
0: Eric, thank you so much. As always, I think this is maybe the fourth year we've done this presentation. And um, just want to say how grateful we are for you always being willing to spend your time with us and sharing such a great presentation with so much information. and sharing your experiences, as one of our attendees said, is is so helpful to everybody. Um, let's see if we have any final questions here. Um, I can read it since I forgot my glasses today. Um, just want to share the website. I think it's college.net for college trade options. One okay. of our attendees. Nice. So thank you for that. We'll check yes. that out. Uh, Hello, which agency slash provider are you using to help with the DDA funding after 21 years old?
1: So I'm I'm going through Optimal uh, and I'm in Frederick County, so I'm using Optimal to do my uh, they're my provider agency for William's for my son's staff. The when I was doing self-directed, you know, again, you don't have your it's just you and your CCS and your support broker. So um, yeah, you know, I didn't have an agency back then. Now I'm using Optimal. I'm pretty happy with them. I don't know if they're in other counties. I can only speak for Frederick.
0: Okay. And a correction on that website, it's thinkcollege.net. Uh, that's the website we were. Ref- she was referring awesome. to. Do you have any recommendations for Maryland attorneys?
1: villain associates um, <laughs> you know it, it's I, I didn't send that question yeah. no I mean it's it's you guys have a lot of attorneys there so uh, the odds are you're gonna find somebody that meshes with your personality when you're when you're shopping for an attorney regardless of where you go um, do a couple things talk to talk to families that have already done their estate planning find out who they liked is uh, it, it and then when you when you find out who they like go to the individual's website do they talk about special needs planning or are they a generalist that says they can do anything and everything and maybe they only do one or two special needs trusts a year i would argue you don't want to go to a you don't want to go to a generalist um, right. but if, if you if you find somebody that they that they like and they do do special needs planning then the next thing to do is when you're interviewing them do you feel heard do you feel like you can have a very frank and open discussion about your situation with this attorney? Because this is going to be a relationship that you're going to have, and it's, it's, it's going to require you to show your underwear drawer. I mean, you have to have a very, very, you have to feel like you really can trust this person. It's not just a business transaction. You really have to make sure you trust the person.
0: I completely agree with everything that Eric said there. So, yeah, here at Elville & Associates, we, we focus in special needs planning. Stephen Elville especially, Lindsay Moss also um, maintains her practice in special needs planning and elder law. Um, so, yeah, you want to come in, you know, talk to a couple of attorneys. We, we encourage it, but um, our consultations are free to discuss your needs, um, answer all of your questions. Um, have us understand your situation help create a path forward as we always say um, and um, give you an idea of how how you might might want to move forward so um, we look forward to speaking with you about it um, and let us know let us know if you have any questions always happy to be a resource to you here at the firm um, and uh, thanks for your interest in for being here today let's see if we have any further questions here um, Excellent presentation. Your speed was great and your personal examples were great. Thank you so much. And I hope you will continue providing us such webinars. Thank you again. Um, Awesome.
1: Yeah, I'll keep doing it as long as you keep asking me back. We
0: will, indeed. And next question, why age 23 to apply for SNAPS?
1: I don't know why. Um, that's what the state told me when I applied for my son. They told me, because I applied when he turned 21, they told me to come back when he was 23. I'm sure there's a reason that has to do with him in household and stuff. I, I just, I I don't know. So I, I'm i going by what the state told me to do and I'm just passing along to everybody else. Okay.
0: All right. Um, so we're at 1130 and uh, now would definitely be your time to get any last question into Eric Um, I'll say as far as our webinar series goes we have a couple more before I head out out on vacation for a little while and then we'll be starting back up in July Uh, next Tuesday we have Understanding Estate and Trust Administration which we do on a quarterly basis that's next Tuesday the 13th at 10 o'clock with Stephen Elville and then we have a special presentation on see it's uh, thursday june 15th at busboys and poets in columbia at five o'clock we're partnering with the center for elder justice and education officer andre lingam who's the founder of that um, really great organization financial exploitation frauds and scams targeting older adults and we have offered that presentation a couple times over the past few years through our webinar series, but we're gonna be doing it in person at Busboys and Poets on World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. Um, So it's gonna be a really great presentation and a a great uh, evening uh, over there on the other side of Columbia. So come out and join us, registration is required. So you can visit our website events page to do that. Um, And then we'll be coming back the second week of July to get our webinar series kicked back off again. Eric mentioned Kelly Nelson, the Maryland ABLE, uh, always a great resource as well. She'll be coming back in September for her Maryland ABLE presentation. And we always look forward to her information. Um, she has some updates for us as well, I believe. And I'll be sending out my follow-up message with the video, the slides again, and some of the great resources that Eric alluded to uh, in his presentation. So, Eric, thank you again. Uh, pleasure as always and uh, for our attendees thanks for being part of the elbow webinar, webinar series we can't do it without you and we'll see you again soon have a wonderful day